Um, that's what I said when I read the scripture for today. Um, I was like, I, I did not choose this scripture. Trust me, if I had chosen it, it wouldn't have been this one. Um, I was like, Urban Village, you're setting me up for failure. Um, yeah, we'll get there. Um, well, good morning. Um, my name is Caitlin France. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am so happy to be here with you today. I usually attend Urban Village up in Edgewater, North Side. Yeah. Um, I'm here today at the South Loop campus because I and uh, Sheena co-lead a community group with the Inclusive Collective um, in the South Loop. And we thought, oh yeah, our uh, students are going to show up for me uh, to, to support me. And <laughs> y'all, I cannot compete with Drag Sunday that's happening at Wicker Park and uh, Hyde Park. Um, so that's okay. Like, that is totally okay. They're there, and that's good. I affirm that. Um, but I am happy to be here with you today. I'm a student at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, and I am a, the student pastor for the Inclusive Collective. And as I was listening to your um, your testimony, I was like, we didn't. We did not talk at all about like trying to sync it up or anything. But he was talking about growth and reclamation, and um, there was something else that you had said. And I was like, we're talking about all of these today. Oh, shame, shame. Um, so maybe it's just because we run in the same circles and talk about the same things. Um, a little bit about me. I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, and um, I moved to Chicago to go to seminary here. About two years ago. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I felt God calling me to ministry. And when I was 13 years old, and I was holding a watermelon in one hand and a Coke can in another, I was at camp, and I just heard God calling me, and I was like, yeah, I hear you. I'm going to go. Show me the way. I can tell you, I had no idea <laughs> that in 10 years, I would later be preaching on that text um, and then addressing gender norms in today's society. I had no idea. I probably would have said no. <laughs> um, I didn't even know the concept of gender norms at all. I have to tell you today's sermon is proof that I have grown. Um, uh, in those 10 years since my first call to ministry, I have learned a lot about social constructions, I've learned about, or that gender identity and race and marriage and all, even the things that we define as deviant in today's society, these are all constructions that um, society has put boundaries on things. Uh, so since I was 13 years old with a pimply face, still got those, um, I found out I was attracted to women. I figured out that the Bible might not be the literal word of God. I have grown a lot, um, and I invite you to grow with me. Growth. Have you ever experienced growing pains? Um, and not the metaphorical ones. We'll get there, but the, the physical pains of growing. When did you get those? All growing up, I, I was a dancer. I did ballet, and when I got to be about 
13 years old, I would get these horrible pains in my knees. If you know ballet at all, you do lots of plies, and they just were so painful. Yes. Um, and so I went to my doctor, and he told me that they're just growing pains. Uh, you can take Advil to try to reduce the pain. You can stop doing ballet. But those pains are just something you're going to go through. So um, I continued dancing, and I struggled with this pain. And growth can hurt. Uh, growth can be a struggle. Maybe it's a struggle with yourself. Um, maybe it's learning to struggle with the pain, because sometimes it's unavoidable. If I'm thinking about growing pains with the Bible, I have really struggled this week. Any verse that starts off with man's head being Christ and woman's head being man, I'm going to struggle. And this passage has caused much pain in the past. It has been a reason for keeping women in their place. It has been used to prove a justification for this really problematic thing that we call kiriarchy. Um, I'll slow down. Kiriarchy. Uh, this is a term created by a woman named Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenzo, Fiorenza, who is a feminist and liberationist theologian. Kiriarchy is much like patriarchy, but it thinks of all the systems of oppression that are going on, not just men and women. Um, for example, physically able white women who put down disabled black men enable a hierarchy that intersects with ability, race, and gender. So if we assume Fiorenza's term, this kiriarchy term, can help us understand what is happening in the text, uh, we can see that Paul is intersecting gender and God and the cross to create a kiriarchal system. So let's just put it out there. Hierarchies used to diminish people's humanity is wrong. Just flat out wrong. Hierarchies attached with God used to diminish people's humanity is also very wrong, and it's harmful and toxic. And unfortunately, it has been very difficult to argue in the past because who can argue with God? We throw in God to the hierarchy and we're afraid to touch it. So this is why I was not happy to know I'd be preaching on this text. And throughout the week and my meditations on this scripture, I came to realize a very significant um, self-awareness. I learned that I have a deep, deep desire to in, for my interpretation to always find redeeming qualities. I just took this class on biblical law. <laughs> it was so fun. Um, I know that's really nerdy, but um, it was the exact opposite of boring. And out of this class, I learned that so often the laws that um, we use today, that, that we that were in the Bible that we say we need to use today, we used to th them to exclude people. Um, but really, in that time, the intention was always to draw people back into community. 
So in that class, I learned the skills necessary for interpretations that, um, that redeem passages. Uh, and I finally had this hope that this sacred text that we call the Bible um, was relevant, and it had good intentions, and we could redeem it. And so I, I just have this desire to always do that. Then, bam, Paul shows up, and I realized in my desire to redeem this passage, all I could do was argue. I wanted to argue with the kiriarchy. I wanted to argue with the head coverings. This discouragement, because I couldn't find any kind of redemption, turned me towards comfort in tradition. Um, there's a long rabbinical tradition to argue with scripture. And we can t all take comfort in knowing that it's okay to argue. We can argue back and forth because this kind of argument, this discussion, it leads to growth. And maybe that growth, we will, in that growth, we will find ourselves seeing the redemptive parts of the text. So to the passage. <laughs> I know some of us may be like, what's going on here? Some people are like, don't talk about it. Um, but I got to talk about it. <laughs> um, what the heck is going on here? We hear you, Paul. Man is like God. His head looks so much better in his natural state. Um, that's weird, Paul. Because So he's saying that men have naturally short hair, and that's how they should naturally keep it. And women have naturally long hair, and that's how they should keep it. He has not heard of social constructions yet. Natural hair... Um, can mean lots of different things, different lengths for all different people, regardless of X or Y chromosomes. Um, I had a friend in college whose hair naturally did not grow past her chin, and another friend whose hair naturally grew all the way to his backside. So, Paul, we get it. You like men's hair to be short and women's hair to be long and covered because that's what makes you comfortable. <laughs> But say the truth, Paul, and not disguise your discomfort by claiming things are natural when clearly your male-identifying friends are having to get their hair sheared off from time to time. Okay, I'm giving Paul kind of a hard time. Let's try to back off. Maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps Paul was just trying to fit in to Roman culture. Perhaps he was really concerned for his community, um, who were people under oppressive rule in the Roman Empire, and he desired that they fit in so as to not make any kind of ruckus. Even so, in his desire to fit into these social norms, he shames the people he loves. And to be clear, shame is never, ever, ever of God. So therefore, as one of my professors once told me, Paul, I think he's just using the best language that he knows how in the time and context that he is in. But that doesn't make him right. What he does seem to offer, I, th I think there is some good news in his argument for women to wear head coverings. He is so concerned by this because he actually wants women to speak in the church. He makes these claims about presentation under the assumption that women 
just like men, can prophesy and pray and preach in the church. And while Paul does not allow fluid presentation, which is still an argument with Paul and we will get there, um, I will give it to him that he created an argument completely in favor of women's roles in the church as equal to men's role in the church. All other ancient Near East sources squander the voices of women. But Paul queers this societal norm of women and allows them to, and encourages them to prophesy. So friends, we can get caught up in this argument for head coverings. The truth is, we don't know why Paul uh, said the things that he did. We do know that in the year 2019, the head covering issue is not so much about literally wearing a headscarf or not. The issue is about gender roles. I encourage you not to be like me and caught up in all of the head covering stuff. Um, And these are valid conversations. Um, But we can end up going around in circles with never retrieving any kind of answers. And in fact, in verse 13, Paul pretty much ends his argument by encouraging the Corinthians to judge for themselves. He has said, here is what I think, but y'all have a church, you have a context, you judge for yourself. I think clarity, though, comes in verse 11 and 12. This is what it says. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman. But all things come from God. So from verse 3, which is where he sets up that hierarchy, to verse 11 and 12, um, he, he turns out of his misogyny and comes back to this more egalitarian society, one where men and women are interdependent upon one another, and one where men and women and people are interdependent upon God. So for him to get from this argument in verse 3 to the argument in verse 10, that was not Paul. It may have been Paul speaking, may have been him writing the letter, but that was the work of the Holy Spirit. If we are receptive to her movement, she can remove whatever is blinding us, um, whatever is preventing us from hearing the stories of the marginalized and actually advocate for them. Therefore, let us continue to be receptive of her movement, pushing to see which voices we have not listened to yet. So we've recognized uh, so far that there's this feminist perspective um, that Paul is advocating for the women's voices in the church. Even through all of this head-covering nonsense, he's actually advocating for women to be equal with men. Let us also then recognize the transgender critique. I had to be very intentional in reading this passage and reading commentaries and listening to my uh, trans and non-binary friends. Unfortunately, 
not a lot of work has been done in biblical studies regarding transgender identity identity and interpretations. There's been an emergence of queer theology um, and biblical studies and hermeneutics, but this tends to heavily lean on sexual orientation over any work on gender identity and performance. So there is a lot of growth to be done. But as I tried and I, and I read and I listened, um, I learned that Paul uses this binary language of men and women because he, like we do today, lived in a heteronormative society. And while heteronormativity typically refers to um, the norms of sexual orientation, it is a very real construct that forces people to think in binaries. So in a heteronormative society, we think one man and one woman can become partners. And there's this binary between genders, and only one and one can be, be partners. And even this binary can lead some members of the gay and lesbian community to think also in binaries, where um, either men and men are attracted to each other, and women and women are attracted to each other. We still have those binaries. Um, this heteronormativity has led me into developing my own biases um, because I, I'm still thinking in binaries and I am trying to get over that, but um, heteronormativity has led me into developing these biases against members of the bi community because I was thinking that only men and men can be attracted to each other and only women and women can be attracted to each other, but that is not true. And because of this heteronormative society that we live in, there is value in reading a passage through a trans lens. A gender-fluid interpretation has much to teach us. If I get past my cisgendered bias, this passage teaches me that actually, binaries do not give us the complete intent that God has for this world. Binaries shove us into corners, trap us, and people are not free. In a trans interpretation, um, we can actually hear the non-binary message that Paul is sharing in this, in this passage. What we can understand is this passage regarding gender presentation is that women are taking on authority in the church as Paul says that they can speak in the church, women are now allowed to take on some kind of authority. This action implies that she is taking on a masculine role that was um, de defined as masculine in that society. And by women being able to take on this masculine role that is putting them equal with men, that is making the men less masculine. And so they are, in a way, kind of becoming more feminine. And this early church in Corinth is playing around with non-binaries. They're playing around with um, these roles that they were never assigned by society. The... The fact that men would have existed in a system where women um, shared that authority meant that they were becoming more feminine. Um, 
Corinth in this way is exploring God's desire for the church that calls for people to be interdependent upon one another and not live into this binary of men have a role in the church and women have another role in the church. They are equally getting that role and playing around with that. Today we see that um, drag queen Nidra Bell, I believe that Chris talked about uh, her last week. This is Chris Weaver. Um, queen Nidra is a modern-day Corinthian. While the men and women explored gender roles in the church in Corinth, Chris Weaver is exploring um, gender roles in the church uh, and in his church leadership. He puts on his head covering that comes in the form of a wig and makeup and heels, giving Queen Nidra Bell her physical symbol of authority in the church. She explores and moves between gender roles, leading other drag queens and gender queers and straight people and cisgendered people into this communal worship with God. She is the epitome of exactly what Paul encouraged the church in Corinth to do. I believe that this non-binary living, whether in physical gender presentation or mental intentions of living into a non-binary life, look a lot like what God has desired for all of us. People like Queen Nidra are physically living the life that God intended for her. And in doing so, she offers herself a gift of freedom. And she offers us a gift to learn more about how we are called to live. For those of us who identify as cisgender, we have much to learn about navigating the world with fluidity. Such a mindset and worldview opens up endless possibilities to see God's grace rather than closing the door because God's grace only looks like this or that. I also believe that Jesus is the greatest example of what non-binary looks like. Jesus was both human and divine. God did not choose to limit God's self to either humanity or divinity. God chose to live into a non-binary, exploring the roles as they navigated their life on earth. And Jesus, as interdependent upon God, and Jesus as both human and divine, calls us into non-binary living so that we can become more like Jesus for a world that needs a lot less constraint and a lot more fluidity. Let us pray. Great God of fluid, God who expands our minds and pushes us into a life of no binaries, call us into your image. We ask that you humble us and remind us again and again to struggle with this heteronormative society in which we live. We ask these things of you because we want to love and like and learn from our non-binary friends more and more. You are expansive and bigger than any of our boundaries that we have created. Let us experience that kind of grace. Amen.